Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 44th episode of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. This is Karina. I just recorded an intro as a spell, a love spell uh, for Imbolc um, and the midpoint between winter and spring, God is willing on climate change, and I hit the wrong button and it deleted. So I'm trying to really pull in the essence of what I was channeling when I completed this spell and recorded it. Um, I just finished putting together about 30 bottles of a new elixir, very limited offering called Love Spell for Empaths. It's an extraction of cinnamon bark and lavender and apple brandy along with a strawberry syrup made with organic strawberries and vegetable glycerite, a raw honey infused with red rose petals, and a couple of flower essences that I made late last summer in my family garden in Northern California of Dahlia and Fuchsia, and a rue essence that I got from the amazing Liliana from Black Moon Witch. And I was sitting after completing these bottles, after straining them and pouring them and sitting with them and being with the bee that came and made an appearance on the recording um, because it was so attracted to the smell of honey. Um, Making the rose quartz essence, I wanted to do a spell for our connection and our growth, but not a connection as in maybe the Ten of Cups where we see this joy and this abundance and this feeling of like the end of the hero's journey where everything turns out great and there's no problems again. Um, Our connection and our joy spawns from the losses that we've dealt with, the pain, the grief. And I absolutely love my conversation today with Levi from Miss T Botanica. Um, It's one of my favorite conversations I've ever shared on the podcast, but I am kind of in love with every conversation I've ever shared, so that says a lot. And um, it also fills me with a sense of pride to know that I'm creating this space and that it has resonated with a small but dedicated group of y'all. But something that came through, um, this interview is only a couple weeks old. Usually I back, I do a lot of interviews at one time, and this one was the first of the bulk that I'm doing right now. So something about Levi makes me feel so intensely grateful and connected to this line of connection between witches and queers and radicals and those of us that never found a place in heteronormative capitalism and I feel so grounded in gratitude from that knowledge of connection but something that's been coming up for me a lot is this idea that we find connection and we find this capacity for empathy and for love and for connection but I 
I think that we find that through the pain of loss and systemic violence and pain. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to grow. I'm really grateful. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to survive the things that are incredibly painful and to connect with people that have had similar experiences. When I was recording my episode with um, with Levi, when I was recording this interview, I was like pretty choked up during the whole interview. I was a little bit teary. And I thought at the time maybe it was because of where I, my body was at in my cycle. But I've been feeling like it's really, you know, I listened to it again today to edit it and I felt that same amount of of emotion. And I realize it's because of this connection, this connection through grief, this connection through loss, this connection through like this really general disappointment in the ways that the systems have turned out in the way that, you know, life can be so incredibly painful and difficult for so many of us. Um, And I see the thread connecting so many of us. And it's such an honor to feel that and I haven't yet completely excavated or understood what it means or what it's about but it reminds me of this transition that I've been kind of obsessed with lately between the tower and the star and this idea of coming out of the rubble coming out of the destruction of how chaotic and painful life can be and finding meaning in that so I'm happy to have completed this spell, even if the recording of the spell is no longer present underneath the tamarisk tree on the property that I live on in the desert. And I feel a great amount of capacity for healing and for connection um, in these moments. And I just want to extend that um, outward to all of my beautiful listeners who have been um, you know, helping this, this podcast grow, whether you're just listening, um, but especially if you're sharing, if you've rated and reviewed, and if you are on the Patreon and have been able to sustain this work financially. So thank you. Um, it's only through my relationship with my tarot clients and my apothecary customers and my patrons that I'm able to dedicate the time into creating this work. And, Something in the last six months that's really come up for me is feeling that, you know, moment when you're a small business owner where you have to think about expansion and how you're going to expand. Um, And that often means outsourcing and hiring people. And I really want to stay small and I want to create these small batches of medicine um, with like ethical, you know, totally ethically sourced material and I want to be able to also create medicine for low cost and no cost for people that are most affected by late capitalism, the climate crisis, etc. So I hope everyone enjoys this conversation with Levi. It's a long one. This is a long conversation, but there was absolutely nothing that I felt that I wanted to cut out. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to see it continue to sustain and grow, um, you can check out the Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch. 
I really can't say how grateful I am for the folks that have stuck around, for the folks that have recently joined. Um, For $5 a month, you get a 20% discount in the apothecary and a 25% discount on tarot readings. And I post really regularly uh, content, specials, offers, etc. And it just means so much. Um, I can't even explain how much it means when someone listening to this who is engaged with my work makes that decision that they want to donate five to ten dollars even two dollars a month to this work that they want to make that commitment I can't even explain it um and something that Levi said during this interview that really stuck out to me was about if we wanted to recreate a capitalist economy we were going to have to Um, create a solidarity economy. And I think, you know, when we are able to give back, we're able to support one another. Um, I make regular donations to uh, BIPOC herbalists, to queer trans folks who are creating uh, without resource, to grassroots organizations. I donate between five and 10% of my income. And I'm someone that has a huge debt to income ratio. I'm in a ton of debt, even still, even though I've been paying on it, it seems to like the interest always seems to make it so it doesn't seem like I'm paying that much on it. But um, your support on Patreon is so invaluable to me. It means so much. Um, and it really helps to sustain this work and also helps me to Uh, make donations to my guests to pay my guests which is not something that happens on a lot of podcasts even put on by people that have many much more economic and financial resources than I do so www.patreon.com slash rise up good witch for people that are at the $10 level I'm expanding those offerings I have from January two recordings of workshops that I've done that are available to folks at this level and once the next plant witch mentorship course starts in March which I'll be announcing on the next podcast or you can join the uh, mailing list or the patreon because priority goes to patrons um, then I um, will you'll immediately be included in the workshops that we do the online workshops that we do um, as a group in the mentorship so check out the patreon uh this month levi has generously donated a couple of their amazing creations and this is a giveaway so i am doing the giveaway this week for last month uh for patrons of last month and i still am doing the giveaway for december but if you join this month um you enter to win one of levi's creations that they so generously are donating I also wanted to give a shout out to Mary Evans, who I collaborated on the Emperor Tincture with. Um, she just put out her first short film called Ostara. It's absolutely amazing and beautiful. And I'm going to put a sh- link in the show notes for you to check out. If you have any questions, I'm working on doing a upcoming solo episode where I will address a lot of questions on plants and tarot and other aspects of witchcraft that I address on this podcast, as well as my own process. So you can email me at therisenwitch at gmail.com. And remember to give me a follow on Instagram if you're not already. It's it's, uh, not the Risen Witch. It's Rise Up Good Witch. So I hope you love this episode. Um, 
look in the shop or on the mailing list later this week for the love spell for empaths and the love spell oil that are coming out this week um that along with a few other things will be the only apothecary items that i release until summer when i get up to my northern california garden goddess willing (laughs) and um thank you again for being here If you can go to iTunes and leave a rating and review, that's an awesome and totally free way to support this work. Also sharing on social media or with friends. Thank you all. here with Levi from Miss T Botanica. Levi, welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. Hi, Karina. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. So for folks who aren't familiar with your work or don't know about you, uh, do you want to just give folks a little bit of background info about who you are and what you do? For sure. Um, So I'm Levi. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm a queer herbalist, artist, designer, and writer. Um, I practice bioregional herbalism that centers around queer and trans folks and land connection, um, reparations, and building economies of solidarity. And I'm located on Pacific Coast on Remitush Ohlone land. Awesome. I love your potions. They're so amazing. Um, So to begin, do you want to talk a little bit about your specific relationship to queerness? Yeah, thanks for this question. Um, Just to give some context first, my relationship to queerness is closely tied to my family origin story, which I'll talk about in depth because I inherited my queerness from my maternal line, and that's where I've drawn a lot of my own healing from, as well as ancestral practices. So I grew up in Indiana in a conservative small town. I was an only child, just me and my mom, really. And growing up, it fell on my shoulders to mediate a lot of conflict So I kind of developed this complex that I had to fix people. And I was given a lot of validation for being empathetic and nurturing others in crisis. I was basically an emotional support system for the adults around me. So because of that, I was exposed to a lot of trauma early on. And I was mostly raised by my mom who deals with complex PTSD And I had a lot of trauma bonds in very early childhood. But at the same time, like my mother gave me the world, 
like I was a super spoiled child. And in a way, I know it was reparative for her to raise me that way, even though it was so dysfunctional for me. Um, and I was also really exposed to the harms of the medical industrial complex from an early age. Mm. After my parents divorced, uh, my mom was institutionalized because my dad was really emotionally abusive and a habitual gaslighter. So she got to a point where she had to leave and get inpatient psychiatric care. And after she came back from that, I remember how much shame she was carrying. Like she felt she was somehow broken and only the doctors and prescriptions could fix whatever was going on inside. And that was heartbreaking to witness in a parent as five or six-year-old me. And that's when I first saw the failings of our medical system and how deeply flawed psychiatric care can be. Like people absolutely need psychiatric care and Western medicine and they should never feel ashamed for needing those things. So that was the beginning of my sort of path to queer embodiment. Then a few years later, my mom was in a really shitty marriage with my stepdad at the time, who's a total white supremacist and male chauvinist. And she was diagnosed with cancer and ended up having a radical hysterectomy. That's when I first really saw the trauma on every level, like physical, emotional, spiritual, on the level of gender and sexual health, um, sexual trauma and stigmas around reproductive health, and how all those things become tools of oppression that deny us autonomy. It was also, go ahead. Oh, I was just acknowledging what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was all directly related to um, when my mom was 14. Uh, she carried a child to term, which is so dangerous physically and can lead to complications later in life, like infertility and ovarian cancer, for example. Not to mention it was a source of deep emotional trauma because she also chose a path of adoption. And I think about how a 14-year-old can make such a life-altering choice when living in a highly dysfunctional household of really severe domestic violence and substance misuse. So those things all played a role in her ultimately signing consent for adoption. Because in a place like Southern Indiana, abortion is not usually presented as a viable option. And this was about five years before Roe v. Wade. So, of course, the medical intervention of a hysterectomy later on was life-saving, and we absolutely need Western medicine for all the reasons. But the aftercare and emotional resources and support just were not integrated or even present. And those deficiencies really stuck out to me because I was the fixer, right? It was my role to maintain stability and provide comfort. And I developed this really rich inner world that I could escape to that was just for me. I read constantly, um, 
did all the musical things, spent a lot of time outside playing in the woods, climbing trees and all that stuff. I was very much an only child in my internal world. So I grew up only kind of knowing I had this mysterious sibling, but it wasn't really talked about much due to the trauma around the circumstances. The story was always that I I was a miracle baby because of the infertility that preceded mm. <clears throat> my birth. Wow, thank you for sharing all of that. That's, that's oh, sorry. I have more. Okay. <laughs> I just had to drink some water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so as I got older, I started figuring out I was queer and all that. And I remember my mom got this letter in the mail from my half-sister, Jenny, the baby she had when she was 14. And it basically just said, hey, I'm gay, and I live in Massachusetts. And there was this photo attached that was just this stone butch queer dyke. And I was like, OMG, that's my sister. And I was only 14 at the time and not even... Four months later, I was outed by my mom when she found some letter from this internet guy I was sexting, which the timing of all this was really so lucky for me because I had this kind of built-in support system in progress and like this buffer to help soften all these truths being revealed. And I didn't even realize what it all meant. Like I totally had no idea how lucky I was and how significant and healing all of it would eventually be for everyone involved. But first I had to go through healing my own substance misuse and suicidality. Um, I was institutionalized and over-medicated because that was the narrative I learned at such a young age. And yeah, that was harmful in a way. And at the same time, I'm so grateful I had access to those medications because otherwise I might not be here today to tell anyone any of this. And I'm really lucky to be alive at this time when all of the things are available to me, Western medicine and herbs and somatics, um, talk therapy, EMDR, trauma counseling, all of it. Like we need all the things to cope with the patterns we've inherited, especially in this really pivotal time of late-stage capitalism and climate collapse. So eventually, I moved to California to go to design school, and as I gained independence, I slowly got to know my sister, which took a couple decades because I had to unpack a lot of my own conditioning of being a fixer and get to a place where I could just let things happen with a lot less resistance. And my sobriety from alcohol played a big role in that shift. I have a long family history of alcohol misuse um, that's led to illness and death and a lot of inherited trauma. And the plants helped, of course. Plants have played a huge role in holding my grief. My relationship with plants and just with my own body has guided me more towards acceptance and resilience and helped me navigate trauma patterns going back for generations. Uh, for example, my maternal grandfather died really violently when my mom was six. And the anniversary of his death just passed recently. I keep this picture of him on my altar. 
and he has this really soft, gentle look on his face. Um, but also there's this sadness behind his eyes, like he had to steal parts of himself for the world. I think we look a lot alike, actually. That look, it kind of reminds me of how Hawthorne can create big boundaries, but can also crack our hearts wide open. I really relate to that feeling. I just turned 34 last year, which is how old my grandfather was when he died. That's been on my mind a lot lately. There's so much I'll never know about him, but I look to him as a queer ancestor. And I'm really trying to live my gayest life because his life was taken from him at such a young age. And there's no doubt to me I inherited my queerness from my maternal side because my sister and I have different dads. And we share this specific kind of gender queerness with my sister being butch and my being femme and both of us being strong air signs and academics and, and integrating social justice into our work. And it's a mindfuck to think about the values we developed being raised in the same town, but independently of each other in totally different households. Like, having witnessed and held all of this trauma going back generations, it just feels to me like queerness is a kind of evolutionary corrective. I'm not saying queerness is an adaptation to trauma. It's more like an interruption when the foundation is full of nothing but cracks, queerness ruptures the whole landscape. It breaks open these whole new and unknown spaces where healing can finally enter. So that's that's my story about my relationship to queer identity, and it's definitely still evolving. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. I actually started crying listening. Oh my God. Beautiful. And thank you for sharing all that. And it's like so much of what you said I really relate to as well. Um, so yeah, so much beauty in what and everything you shared. I wanted to ask, I mean, there's so much and we have so much more to go over, but when you're talking about like ancestral, you know, queerness inherited. Did, can I ask, did you say it was your uh, maternal grandfather or maternal great-grandfather? It's my maternal grandfather. Okay. Did Was he an out queer person? Or they? No. No, not at all. And it's, it's not really clear how he died. Um, and it, the narrative was always that it was a suicide. But no one really believes that's true so it's it's kind of one of those weird situations with a lot of unresolved questions yeah definitely um and i love your your narrative and your story about your sister and your connection with your sibling and how beautiful that is that two people can grow differently but like grow the same i think that definitely reminds me of some, yeah, some other stuff that I won't talk about because that's my stuff. But um, thank you, Levi. Um, and going off that, because you're this amazing plant medicine maker, and I, I hope we get to talk more about, you know, your distinction between looking at Western medicine and seeing how harmful it can be and also how helpful 
because I think that's a super important um, story that we all need to be aware of is just, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's complicated, but I hope we can talk more about that. But I wanted to, for you to expand more about, you know, your healing journey and your relationship to plants and herbalism. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I started this work by fostering deep connections with the land. The land was really my first teacher. Before I started making and selling anything, I got my hands in the dirt. My partner and I planted a few poppies and roses and redwood understory plants in this uh, garden space. And we would go out on the weekends and water them. And then that led into starting a local pollinator garden focused mostly on native and medicinal plants. So that's been a foundation and has taught me a lot about being in relationship with plants. You know, my role as a human being versus the role of the pollinators and the will of the plants themselves, because the plants are really the ones making moves. I just have to step back and let them lead. And I live near this really sweet natural area. It's a small valley with a creek drainage and all these willow trees growing from it that I look out onto. And we watch the animals, the deer and quail and coyote and migratory birds come through and rest at the willow. And we always keep native salvia plants on our balcony to attract hummingbirds. They're like my number one familiar since we've lived here. And there's this botanical garden where I go to visit these hawthorn trees that are probably about 30 or 40 years old. Mm. Uh, They must be older than I am. And they've really held a lot of grief for me and have given me so much comfort. And it's really bittersweet because there's this initiative to bulldoze the garden and pave it over as a parking lot, which has been really contentious for the community around here. Also, our lease is almost up and we're probably going to be evicted very soon, like within a few months, which feels like a huge shift coming. So I'm really grieving leaving behind all of those connections to my more than human kin and the land here that I formed over the past seven years. Um, The relationships are really real and it hurts deeply, but I'm also carrying those connections with me wherever I end up. Um, And at the same time, my relationships with plants are super expansive and spread out across a lot of really different ecological areas. For the past nine years, I've been learning about native ecosystems in a really informal way by spending time in the Sonoran and Mojave deserts, um, experiencing the desert bloom, bathing in lakes and rivers in the Sierra Nevada and Klamath Mountains, camping in Lion Territory and Ventana near Big Sur. Uh, learning about the ecology of coast redwood forests and plant ecology across the Pacific and Atlantic coasts. And I don't take any of this for granted. It's such a privilege to have access to those places and experiences. It's definitely not recreational for me. It's all about honoring and 
feeding that connection to the land. That's what really sparks our felt sense of place. The same thing I felt when I was a kid picking berries and singing songs and climbing trees. So I'm really in love with making environmental essences as a way to connect with the spirit of these places. Mm. So um, I can call in that energy whenever it's needed. And last year I was on the East Coast visiting my sister and her family. And um, I went up to Maine where I made essences with fireweed, usnea, and ghost pipe. Um, ghost pipe is one of those really special plants that's becoming more rare and starting to disappear in local populations because of drought and wild harvesting. And they're a super important part of forest ecology and should never be removed, in my opinion. They're pretty difficult to propagate because they're mycoheterotrophic, meaning they siphon nutrients from plants, specifically beech trees, um, through underground fungal networks. And that aspect alone just feels really queer and badass to me. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I first found a strong connection to ghost pipe when I was on the Cape in Provincetown one summer and I was biking along this coastal trail and suddenly rode downhill into this really dark wooded area. Like all the natural light went really dim and I just became super aware that this plant was really close by. Mind you, I had never seen ghost pipe in person and didn't really know much about them or their habitat but I was so in my body from all the sensory input of cycling by the ocean and through the woods that this call from ghost pipe really came through. And I just stopped at the bottom of the hill and knelt down and there they were underneath a bush. Mm. Yeah, that was my first encounter. And I knew I had stumbled upon something really special, just being completely open to receiving the messages coming through and letting the plants lead, um, not trying to force anything. Ghost pipe is such a potent ally. There's truly no reason to harvest them for medicine when we have so many other, you know, nervine, anxiolytic, and antispasmodic plants we can turn to instead. And that's the beauty of essences. They don't require harvesting any plant parts physically. They're just energetic imprints, a signature of light and water and vibrations. Um, they don't really have physical effects, but can generate big energetic shifts when taken internally and intentionally. Like, yeah, just taking herbs in physical doses, like a tincture or tea can support us in a lot of ways. But when we work with herbs in a way that honors them as part of a living landscape, one that we are also a part of, that can be super powerful and transformative. There's a way in which landscapes are these elegant, self-regulating systems, and how we interact with them is integral to all of our survival, because we're part of nature, and plants will tell us how they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. I want to yeah, I want to channel those messages into my medicine to help people remember that all of this is worth protecting. 
that the water and the land are holding all these ancient memories and the bones of our ancestors and they can hold our grief too. We have to remember to grieve what's being lost to climate chaos and the role of capitalism and white settler colonialism in making our planet uninhabitable. Um, I also just want to mention I, I don't consider myself a healer. Um, I put my trust in the innate intelligence of the body and the intelligence of the plants. We're all our own greatest healers. Like we're healing ourselves all the time, even without anything external. Mm-hmm. But yeah, of course we do need collective support and plants really do offer us so many gifts. Um, mar- marshmallow is one plant I have a really strong connection to. Uh, I use the leaves and flowers to make a lung elixir with mullen and elder and elecampane and other respiratory herbs. And all the aerial parts are covered in these really soft, fuzzy hairs that nourish all our mucous membranes in the respiratory tract, the GI, the urinary tract. Like, I use powdered marshmallow root in my oatmeal every morning, and I put a bit of the dried root in my infusions to balance out the more drying aspects of something like nettle leaf. Um, Angelica is another plant that's really dear to me. As a protective grounding medicine, I work with the root in digestive bitters and I carry them as a talisman. Um, St. John's wort is another spirit protector that I use internally as a tincture and topically as a massage oil and in pain salves and muscle rubs. Uh, Yarrow is another favorite plant of mine. Um, I distill them as a hydrosol that I use for everything. And I've given Yarrow hydrosol to people recovering from top surgery and uh, vulvar biopsy. Um, Yarrow is such a powerful vulnerary. It can really fortify energetic boundaries too. And I use the tincture in spirit doses and the powdered herb in wound care. Um, It's even part of my oral care routine. So like there's so many ways to work with the gifts of each plant. And I think there's a lot to be said about what we have to offer to the land as well. We can't just focus on individual healing because we live in a broken system So I'm always trying to figure out how to practice healing collectively, and that's what we really need to strive for. Not just healing ourselves, but also healing the planet. Yes, wow, beautiful. Everything you're saying is so beautiful. I actually have your Yarrow Hydrosol like right here at my desk, so when you started talking about it, I've been spraying it before and after I give readings. And it's, I love the smell of yarrow. Um, it's so pungent and bitter. Um, it's almost, it reminds me a little bit of the smell of mugwort, but I, there's this joy. I don't know if you think about this, but when you're harvesting plants and the smell is just like all over you, like the smell of yarrow, mugwort, marigold, like calendula, these plants, like I always notice the way that they're so fragrant and they stick to me. And um, I really feel like that your hydrosol mist like really um, captures that essence of yarrow. Mm, Yes. Yeah, making hydrosols 
is also kind of like a taste of that experience, you know, being surrounded by plants and harvesting them and getting their scent. Mm -hmm. It just kind of permeates everything. So how do you um, integrate mutual aid and reparations into your practice? Ooh, okay. Yeah. Because I know that you do. Yeah. (laughs) mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So, yeah, in 2016, um, when the Dakota Access Pipeline protests were happening, that was when I first really saw the importance of herbalism as a form of mutual aid. And I remember right around Thanksgiving, I made a big batch of pain salve to donate to the water protectors and offer solidarity to the Lakota Nation. And I used a lot of Monarda, the bergamo bee balm that's native to this area, along with herbs like arnica and yarrow and comfrey. I was really eager to share these plants freely as a way to support people on the front lines protecting sacred sites. And the herbs were like, yeah, this is where we need to go. And I was like, yep, I hear you. So ever since then, the mutual aid has been a cornerstone of my practice, especially when indigenous communities are risking life and limb, like the earth protectors at Mauna Kea, who I'm so glad have been successful in their efforts. I sent some remedies there. Yeah, like nervines and immune support and whatever else was requested. I'm also staying vigilant of the situation in British Columbia where the Wet'suwet'en First Nation is fighting the coastal gas link pipeline, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, would be devastating for all of us if that happened. And living in so-called California... You know, every year the wildfires get worse, Uh, more people and animals are displaced, and folks are really impacted by air quality. So each year I donate respiratory herbs and masks to whoever needs access to them, and I try to have enough mullein and marshmallow and elder and elecampane on hand um, to make the lung elixirs for fire season. And um, I recently donated a bunch of herbs like um, skullcap and milky oats and motherwort to folks in Puerto Rico after the last string of earthquakes there. So many people haven't even recovered from Maria in 2017 and already are impacted by the next disaster. And our government leaders neglect providing relief if it isn't a photo op that advances a white savior narrative. So we really have to like look out for each other in an age of ecocide and environmental racism. And this is why as an, a white herbalist living on stolen land, it feels necessary to elevate and support the work of black and indigenous herbalists and people of color. Like I have to remember that herbalism is not inherently radical. It has to be practiced radically. So offering a sliding scale is a cornerstone of my practice now, especially for queer and trans and disabled and multiply marginalized folks. It just helps make the medicine 
more accessible to people who are disproportionately affected by systemic injustice. Um, another part of my efforts toward reparations include donating proceeds from product sales to folks at the intersection of social and environmental justice. Like healing is not apolitical, y'all. <laughs> we need to invest in practitioners with structural competence who recognize injustice as a health issue. Um, I see a lot of white folks out there who only focus on individual healing or shame people for using Western medicine or eating the wrong foods. And I've absolutely been guilty of this, by the way. Like, I've had to unlearn that false notion of purity. It leaves so many folks behind, and we really need to divest from that entire model. Because purity discourse is a big thorn of Western herbalism and holistic health and New Age practices. Like, healing doesn't have to be just one thing or the other. Not everyone can meditate or manifest their way out of crisis, um, especially folks dealing with oppression and injustice. Healing should be about self-determination and building any of these systems around prescriptive ideals really negates that. But we're operating within this capitalist model where pharmaceutical companies control our healthcare system, and in many ways that model translates onto the wellness industrial complex. The pendulum just swings hard in the other direction. In reality, we can benefit from using all the tools and modalities we can access, because separately these systems are broken, and they pathologize and disempower people in similar ways. And I think this also relates to the, the bioessentialist medical model, um, the way Western medicine and Western herbalism conflate anatomy with the gender binary, like not all women have a yoni and some men have a uterus. Okay. And yeah, and like not all notions of parenthood need to include traditionally gendered roles. All of that is so alienating to me as a trans non-binary femme. Like my nibblings call my sister Appa and they call me Uncti. And we talk about pronouns and undoing binary aspects of gender already ingrained in their thinking at age four. And there's no model for this. Like we just have to create space for it so we can move through the world safely which is why part of my work as an herbalist is shedding light on how a lot of Western herbalism is complicit in perpetuating these forms of colonial violence. Even people who've been practicing for a long time need to stay curious about their own competence and be held in loving accountability. Um, by the way, I just wanna say there are lots of people out there already doing really important work to unsettle these cliches of Western herbalism. And I encourage everyone to support people invested in liberatory frameworks, um, which, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, they might already be doing. And uh, I make a monthly donation to the People's Medicine School, 
you can do so at rootworkherbals.com. The founder is Amanda David. Also, Canoe Journey Herbalists offers a class series called The Indigenous Herbalist Pathway, and you can donate to support their efforts. They do really awesome work. Um, Just a few other rad herbalists I love are uh, Tara at Catalyst Community Herbals, uh, Jamesa at Jamhaw Herbals, Atalanta at Blossoming Resistance, um, Rachel Burgos at Snake Root Apothecary is an awesome herbalist and teacher and does mutual aid organizing. Um, I've learned a lot about boundary medicine in her classes. Yeah. Yeah. And all the folks. Yeah. I took that class too. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I took my, well, I can't say what it is because it's a mystery, (laughs) (laughs) but I took it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love all those people that you listed. And um, it is, you know, working with plants, something I just want to follow up, like to all the beautiful and important things you just shared, something that's been a huge part of my journey working with plants. um, And we're, you know, we're going to talk more about like ethical sourcing, but plants will let you know, you know, like they will let you know. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, as you're doing more herbalism work, as you're like working with plant medicine, you will, if you're listening, if you're present, and a lot of people aren't, you know, and that's one of the reasons I decided to stop mass produce, not like it wasn't mass producing, but I was producing like the same formulas over and over again, sometimes like on a rigid schedule, which would mean not being able to take the time to like, find the best source for some of the plants. And I think like, we need to be more focused on like, I'm more interested now in holding space for other people to do a uh, folk medicine and make their own um, herbal remedies instead of like me creating a hundred of the same thing and selling it and then creating a hundred more of the same thing two months later. Um, that's kind of like, I feel like how I've evolved and I feel like, you know, I want to reflect on some things you said, like you said, I am not a healer. I feel like the best pe- the best healers I know are always like, I am not a healer. Um, but I think like plants will like kind of put you in check and they will let you know if you're listening. If you're listening to the plants and the medicine you work with, you will know what's ethical and right. It'll come naturally. Um, but you have to be open to receiving that. And also you have to be, edu- you know, educated on all the issues of systemic violence and inequality that live in our world and, um, you know, the impending climate collapse that we're dealing with. So um, I love that about your practice. I think you not only make these like totally magical, unique blends that are so, they all are like so delicious. When I was like, I'm not going to be producing more of the formulas, like whenever they're gone, they're gone people were like, who should I go to? And I was like, Miss T Botanica, because I feel like your products are so amazing, potent, powerful. And I know that you make them with so much intention and ethics. And it's clear just by listening to you speak about it. Like it's clear how much of your narrative, your story, your understanding of greater systems in the world inform these medicines that you are creating. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) 
So, I love that. Yeah, definitely. So I'm just, I'm bowing to you. I'm honoring your work and, you know, everything you're sharing is really deep and important and honorable. Um, what yeah, are you, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I just, I just want to add to this that like we can really look to our own networks and in our communities um, for people who are already doing care work and find ways to support them because collective care, it only works if we invest in the infrastructure to support folks who engage in it. And we can change the conversation and the dominant narratives about herbalism and, you know, use our medicine to create movements that contribute to collective healing that represents everyone. Mm-hmm. And like, if there's something I can't support, I'm down to refer out to a network of people who can offer that support system. And like another aspect of my practice um, within the past year or so has been harm reduction and like making medicine that can support drug users and sex workers and people in recovery and people navigating substance misuse and like since becoming sober from alcohol, I'm offering more alcohol-free options for sober folks and people who don't have a great relationship to alcohol. And I really want to be competent in supporting folks navigating trauma. So I've started doing more trauma coursework and learning about complex trauma, somatics, polyvagal theory, and attachment theory. Um, I recently did an online workshop called Trauma Triage, um, which was really valuable. Like we have so many tools to add to our toolkits to become more informed and competent practitioners. The learning is literally endless. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to what you were saying in the beginning about, you know, witnessing the harms that are caused by the psychiatric in, I'm going to say industry, um, but the psychiatric system as well. And there is something because I'm, I have shared some of my story publicly, but not a lot of it. And I'm not going to like get into it right now because it's long and detailed. But I think like as someone, as a child who was very, very over-medicated, very young, and in some cases like institutionalized and like told that I was like too low functioning to ever do anything that I've been able to do in my life. Basically, I was told like, you won't be able to go to college. Like you won't be able to like, like you might not be able to do anything that's not like really low stress. Um, There is something so magical about plant healing. And I'm never into stigmatizing people that use pharmaceuticals, because as you said yourself, you know, like I have been on pharmaceuticals that have helped me move through certain parts of my life, but there is something like about plants and connection that is so, you know, it is like, it's, it's so subtle and yet so huge on the way that it interrupts patterns in thinking and behaving. And so much of like the psych industry and the psych, you know, system is about okay, your success is how much you're able to like fit into mainstream society and be a productive member of capitalism. And Mm. if you're able to like fit into like a heteronormative structure and family, like that's not wellness, you know, like that's, that's like capitalism on a internal health, you know, body related level where we're like trying to assimilate 
to, you know, that's what a lot of, in my experience, what psych industry is about. It's like, oh, are you able to have um, a partner, you know, a heteronormative partnership and a nine to five job and a house and like, you know, if you watch TV every night and like get up in the morning and go to your job, then you're quote unquote healthy. And that's not for a lot of us, like something that we would ever thrive in. Yeah, there's, yeah. It's just like these forms of violence repeating themselves and like on that individual level of health and keeping us disconnected. There's so much harm in that and so much connection to be found in in the land and with plants like and I wanted yeah. to ask you about Hawthorne because you mentioned it a couple of times in these contexts that were really beautiful about Hawthorne holding grief for you and that's a plant I've also been connecting with more and more um, as time goes on I really connected with it last year, but this year it's been more of a, I mean, this year it's January, but like, I guess in the last year, it's been more of a connection for me. So is there anything that you can say more about like, you know, the benefits of Hawthorne and like the relationship that you have with it? Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as taking like Hawthorne internally, I've, I've definitely had these experiences where like I have overdone it and it, it created this really strong boundary that was like really prickly and like it's thorn medicine. It's a really protective medicine. It's not always like the heart wide open medicine. Sometimes it's like the thorns up like nobody's getting in medicine which we need sometimes you know to feel safe in our bodies um but I've definitely had the experience where it's been like too much um but yeah like just having a relationship with these trees that are like growing nearby in this botanical garden has given me like perspective on meeting the plant where it's at not you know needing to take it internally necessarily and just kind of being able to conjure up this presence of the trees themselves and I'm also referring to the internal use of the berry which like the berry and the flower have really different medicines like the flower is more of the the heart opening and I feel like the berries like more protective, if that makes sense. Interesting. That's been my experience with Hawthorne anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I, I just want to share really quick. I've never I never thought that I've met a Hawthorne tree. And then I have this memory of being a child and um there was like a vacant lot at the time behind our house and um it was full of yarrow and Queen Anne's lace and I would like go run around in it and get covered with like the, you know, like weird plant matter. And I would s- collect the flowers and then go under the tree in the front yard and like take the berries and 
like mash, mash, like mash everything up and be like, this is it. This is like a secret potion that's going to like save everything. <laughs> and my mom would be like, throw that out. Like, what is that? And I'd be like, it's a secret potion. And she would be like, you need to throw that away. And later I asked them like, what was, there used to be a big tree in the front yard. Like, what was that? And, and my dad was like, it was a hawthorn tree. And I got really emotional because I was like, that was the first tree that I really connected with. And um, I haven't gotten to meet, I, I mean, I'm sure I've met one, but like intentionally in like a plant meditation, I've never gotten to spend time with a Hawthorne tree, but I got, um, last month a tattoo. There was someone in the community that was like apprenticing. So I got to get like a free tattoo and it's a Hawthorne. Um, it's like a tincture bottle. That's like, um, got kind of like a magical, um, it's got like magic coming out of it and it's full of hawthorn berries and, um, leaves. And, um, it's special to me because, uh, in October, um, a really amazing friend of mine, um, was camping under a hawthorn tree in Oregon when they were going to this like workshop about, um, witchcraft and decolonizing and, um, uh, they, uh, and European kind of like histories and, they like wrote me and said, I'm going to, I'm sleeping under this Hawthorne tree and I'm going to talk to the land steward. And, um, I'm going to ask if I can like take some to send you, I'm getting really emotional. And then they sent me this box of like Hawthorne berries and, and leaves and thorns. And a few weeks later they died in a car accident. So I've been like, you mm. know, talking about this and, and sharing, mm. um, already but um it's now it's like that solidified my relationship with that tree so much so you know hearing other people talk about it it's um it's really beautiful and I look forward to like deepening my own relationship with Hawthorne um yeah that that is so beautiful thank you for sharing that with me of course yeah I'm I'm with you I'm with little you um you know making potions with all the berries and that is totally my experience as well that I love I love that story thank you well thanks um so what are you know your best practices and maybe your suggestions I guess for ethical sourcing in herbalism Yeah, I love this question. Um, I put a lot of effort into ethical sourcing and education around the harms of wildcrafting and appropriation. Um, Most of the plants I work with are sourced from local farmers within 100 miles of where I live. Um, Some of the plants I grow myself, either from seed or from transplants, but I'm super lucky to live in close proximity to herb growers. So I'm able to source reliably through um, places like Steadfast Herbs, which is run by queer farmers who do really important work. I'm super grateful to have them as a resource. And I work with the Sonoma County Herb Exchange who collaborates um, with the herb school up in Forestville and they ship fresh plants locally. And these are relatively small companies who offer you know, sustainably grown, small-scale medicinal plants. So I I rarely wildcraft, and I try to work 
in reciprocal relationship to the land. Um, I make offerings by growing native plants and spreading native seeds that are bioregionally appropriate. And I was saying earlier, um, we steward a small native plant garden uh, that was built in honor of Cesar Chavez. And we collaborate with the community college students who help maintain the garden. And when we came up with a plant list, we worked with the cultural communities at the college. And one of the plants the Latinx student group requested was white sage, which is a ceremonial plant that has been so misused and exploited through irresponsible wild harvesting by white folks. So it's really moving to see students with ancestral ties to this land interact with that plant and the native salvias and witness those relationships. Even though this is all still happening within a colonial framework of institutions and this is a garden, not you know the mouth of a desert canyon or a wash where you can come to feel really expansive. But the plants are still very much alive and exist purely to be in relationship and not for any kind of extraction or exploitation. I think it's really important to cultivate those relationships that take us out of that transactional colonial mindset and ask us not, you know, what is this plant good for, but what can we offer back in exchange, you know? What is our medicine? Because cultural and spiritual theft are rampant in white New Age spirituality and holistic healing and herbalism. And I'm super conscious of that fact as someone holding white privilege. Like that privilege to be able to trace my lineage, even though the stories aren't passed down to me. Like, I have this access because my history has been preserved at the expense of all these other forms of, you know, diasporic cultural erasure. So as someone holding that privilege, I would never want to take from another culture just because it's trendy. That just feels so hollow to me. Like, I have to stay in right relationship to my lineage of practice and stay accountable to my ancestors and the lands that raised me. So I, I grew up on the Wabash River watershed on Shawnee, Miami, Adena land in so-called Indiana. Um, I was actually baptized in the river there, which is a funny story, but... Uh, when I was a kid, I planted this white pine in the front yard of the house I lived in at the time. And I still go back and visit that tree, which is like twice as tall as the house now. And I resisted going back there for a long time because there was so much violence and dysfunction that happened there. But last year, that tree called me back and I just felt really supported and held being in the presence of this tree that I nurtured as a child. Um, there was such healing there without taking anything from the plant. And really I was able to connect to my child self who planted this tree and give gratitude for this incredible gift to my future self. And by the way, um, the pineal gland is named for being shaped like a pine cone, also known as the third eye. It's an endocrine gland 
that regulates circadian rhythms and sleep cycles, and it's where melatonin is produced. And I just think about all these functions that become dysregulated by trauma, and some of that resolved for me once I came back into relationship with that white pine as a familiar. Um, I also have ancestors from the Ahr River in Germany, which is a tributary of the Rhine. And I recently learned the most abundant trees growing there are fir trees, which is another plant I have a strong relationship with. Um, I make an oxymel with fir tips and rose hips and hawthorn, and it's one of my favorite tonics, which, by the way, an oxymel is a traditional folk remedy of vinegar and honey and can be used in place of alcohol to extract herbs. And I love working with them because I use like raw honey and raw cider vinegar. So it's basically a, a medicinal food ferment that helps support digestion. Mm. And um, yeah, and I love burning fir needles too and rosemary and juniper. Like I have such a deeper connection to those plants than white sage or palo santo or any plant that comes from someone else's cultural traditions and I make a lot of effort to find plants that my ancestors would have lived among and build relationships with them versus buying into appropriative trends. Because let's be real, if it's trendy, it's probably appropriative. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the way white sage is sold in these giant bundles is so excessive. When one leaf tip is all you need, like I can't even... I know. And between the drought climate and over-harvesting for smoke, you know, white sage has been placed on United Plant Savers um, to watch list. Until recently, it was illegal for tribal communities to even use white sage ceremonially because their spiritual practices were outlawed as a project of colonial genocide. And now, you know, the sage populations are in decline from white folks wild harvesting and appropriating like it seriously needs to stop mm -hmm. and I also just want to say like this is all super nuanced and really depends on your position of privilege in relation to the cultural practices you engage with as well as you know access to your own lineage and I truly can only speak for myself but it's so key to collective healing to remain conscious of, you know, the harms of white settler colonialism and question the so-called healers who profit from them. Um, and I, I know, like, people who wildcraft are, they're going to go out and do it anyway, right? And I want them to do it as safely as possible. So harm reduction, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I would ask... Are you like are you 100% certain of what species you're harvesting, as well as toxicity and contamination concerns? Um, you don't want to harvest near mining sites or downstream from polluted waterways or, you know, where people walk their dogs. And be super aware of poisonous plants growing nearby. For example, um, I see white folks who wildcraft Pedicularis, um, a hemiparasitic plant. It attaches to the roots of manzanita, and they grow in chaparral and oak woodlands, um, often near poison oak or 
guardian oak, as I like to call them. But because Pedicularis tends to parasitize nearby root systems, their proximity to guardian oak can present health risks. And yeah, I, white folks have no business wild harvesting this plant, in my opinion, though. Mm-hmm. My, my rule of thumb is to steer clear of native plants, unless you carry indigenous knowledge of land stewardship, because native plants are part of native land. Some native plants are exceedingly abundant, like trees, but most of them should not be harvested by non-native people. Um, There are vast amounts of weedy invasive plants with medicinal qualities, and harvesting invasives can be beneficial to the ecosystem since weedy plants often outcompete native plants. And I realize even the languaging around this and many other aspects of like botany are problematic because it's all rooted in colonialism and exploitation. Um, I started reading this text recently called uh, Plants and Empire, Colonial Bioprospecting in the Atlantic World by Londa Scheibinger, um, recommended to me by Joanne Kowagashig of Renegade Honey Herbals. And Joanne wrote, in a public comment on a post of mine, um, the whole profession of herbalism, whether we consider ourselves professional herbalists in the strict sense of the term or not, is based on colonial bioprospecting funded by European monarchs and corporations. And the only reason we can practice herbalism as we do today is because of this history. And that really stuck with me in terms of how much work we have to do to make the field of herbalism equitable. It's no small task. So, yeah, a couple more thoughts on sourcing. If folks feel they must wildcraft, I would invite them to be aware of how much of the plant they harvest and to ensure they leave enough for the pollinators and local fauna and the more than human inhabitants of the land. Like as herbalists, we need to have some knowledge, not only of botany, but of ecology as well. And once we understand how necessary plants are for the health of our ecosystems, that needs to override our desire to exploit them for our personal health. At least that's been my experience. Um, There was this one time, when I made the mistake of harvesting desert lavender, which was incredibly abundant. And I was so drawn to this plant and really let my extractive colonizer mindset take over and harvest it a little bit. And even though there were hundreds of plants in full bloom, I will never make that mistake again because the desert is truly not a forgiving place. Like it's incredibly stark the thorns are out and every little bit of food is like gold in the ecosystem. So I took these flowers back to our campsite and within minutes, the European honeybees were on us. They, they swarmed our water, our tent, our car, and they have an amazing sense of smell and the scent had just permeated our whole campsite. (laughs) Once the bees find a water source in the desert, it's basically game over. So that was really intense. And like like you were saying before, like that really put me in my place in terms of 
showing me if I interfere too much in the ecosystem, there will be consequences. And I still offer water to those desert lavender plants and the bees, and I would never dream of taking them again. It was a really valuable lesson. Because like, we have to understand on a deep level that the ecosystem death is more prevalent than ever before. And it's our role and responsibility as herbalists or foragers or whatever to address it and use it as a lens for our practices. For example, I, I only harvest pine resin from dead trees because the living trees need it to survive. The pine beetle is decimating tree populations and without indigenous land stewardship systems in place, some of the populations are not recovering, which means more dead trees, more fuel during fire season, and the living trees need the pitch that much more to ward off a potentially lethal pest. So yeah, for anyone who works with plants and especially white folks who wildcraft, it's our responsibility to steward the land for future generations. And if you feel you must harvest native plants for profit, first ask yourself why. Like consult with indigenous nations and tribal communities in the area first and ask for their consent and the plants consent too. And really practice listening and cultivate deep relationships with the plants before taking them. Um, familiarize yourself with uh, the United Plant Savers and their list of endangered plants. And if you're selling, you know, herbal medicine for profit, donate a percentage of sales to support indigenous land protectors, BIPOC herbalists, anti-racism and decolonization movements. If like if we want to resist the capitalist economy, we have to replace it with one of solidarity with all living beings on this planet. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think you know, it's kind of like a lot of what you said reminded me of, you know, experiences I've, I've had. And that's how I've deepened my relationship with plants is there have been experiences where I've been unethical with my harvesting and wildcrafting. And I have received that message back as well. And I think that's really empower. Well, I wouldn't say it's empowering. It's it's it. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like we have to receive these messages from the earth. And if we ignore them, then we're not in integrity and we're not doing, we're not making magic. We're not making healing medicine. You know, like we, the, the plants are beautiful and they work because we are in relation with them. Not that we consume them without thinking, you know, it's like completely yes yeah. I was thinking like I do um a class I have a class where I do like folk medicine making and um with uh, a group of like I call it apprenticeship but I'm changing the name because that doesn't really fit what it is on a, a scale the scale of what we do but I was thinking like I have medicine that my um students I guess I would say like the people that are in my class send me when they finish it and when I take it it's like so magical because that is medicine that I like held space for them to create and now I'm taking it and it's a different type of healing because 
you know, I trust the integrity and the ethics of the people that study with me. And then I also, you know, trust the plants themselves. So when there's that story in your medicine, it's works on such so many different levels of healing. Um, and that's like a process that capitalism doesn't have a grasp on, you know, colonial doesn't colonialism doesn't have any part of that. Um, which is why I'm like very interested now in like folk medicine and helping everyone make their own fire cider, for example, or their own lung medicine or, you know, nervines, like things that can help them with these like ailments that we deal with in late capitalism on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, taking medicine that you made, you know, in connection with everyone else, that's, that is so empowering because those systems are set up to keep us disconnected. Yeah, totally. That's really, yeah. So we've, this is so amazing. Like I love everything. I knew that I would love everything you have to share because I love all your shares on Instagram and I love your medicine. Um, But I guess like, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you just wanted to mention? No, I think I've said everything. Okay, um, great. So do you want can... me to tell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where can, if people want to order your medicine or follow your work or read the things you have to write, like where, what's the best way folks can connect with you? Uh, yeah, so I have an apothecary and an online shop um, where you can snag elixirs, teas, oxymels, hydrosols, and you can find that at mistbotanica.com um and the shop's still on etsy for now but i'm working on a new website so i can offer like a newsletter and writings and resources and one-on-one consultations and i'll continue to offer all my herbs on a sliding scale and i'm not sure when this will be released but you can catch me around the bay area this spring doing pop-ups and events and classes. And I'm planning a flower essence class in the North Bay and a retail pop-up on the spring equinox. So I don't have a newsletter yet. So follow along on Instagram for updates. Um, You can find me at Ms. T. Botanica. And I'll have all your info also in the show notes. So folks who are listening can just look and and click the links to get to your work um, along with all the other references that you've mentioned awesome well thank you so much i'm really glad we were able to make this happen and just you know thank you for for sharing so generously and for your creations that you provide to so many people for support thank you so much karina it was great to talk to you to the rise up good witch podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate and review in itunes and check out www.riseupgoodwitch.com for more information about tarot readings and the apothecary